0: Well hi there, welcome to today's episode of the Fitness to Mama podcast. I am your host Kath Bikwe from Fitness to Mama, which is an online community of pregnant and new mamas. Do you know about gestational diabetes? Do you know why Australia screens every woman during every pregnancy? And do you know why women shouldn't feel guilty at all if diagnosed with gestational diabetes? These are the things I dive into today with my guest, Dr. Tom Cade. Dr. Cade is an obstetrician and gynaecologist who has done his research doctorate thesis on the modern management and implications of gestational diabetes, for which he won the Melbourne University Prize for the most clinically impactful thesis in 2017. He contributes occasionally to the Royal Women's Hospital Fetal Medicine Unit and otherwise works in private practice at Epworth Freemasons and St. Vincent's in Melbourne. He has two young daughters himself, and it was great to have him as a guest on this podcast episode. But before we do jump into this episode, I just want to let you all know about the Fitness Mama free online class. In my 45-minute jam-packed class, you'll learn about my five-step framework for a healthy pregnancy, confident childbirth, and strong postnatal recovery helping to reduce the overwhelm and feel confident, and get back to doing what you love sooner. Plus, you'll learn the four biggest mistakes pregnant and new mamas make when it comes to regaining their strength and how to avoid these mistakes. We also discuss why the old saying, your body will know what to do, is terrible advice. And we dive into the simple strategies to focus on instead to help you recover from birth sooner. To sign up for this free online class, head to www.fitnessmama.com forward slash free. That's F-I-T-N-E-S-T-M-A-M-A dot com forward slash free. And the link is also in the show notes. Right, let's get into today's session. Thank you for joining me today, Tom. And today we're going to be discussing gestational diabetes, which I know for a lot of pregnant women, the first time we might hear about gestational diabetes is when we have to do that glucose tolerance test, which from what I remember is when you have to drink that sickly sweet bottle of water and then I guess wait one or two hours for blood tests to occur. So could you please introduce yourself and let us know why you've got a particular interest in gestational diabetes?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I think what you said's right. It's a bit of a shock, but a lot of people have heard about this horrible thing you've got to do in the third trimester and come at it with a little bit of dread. So I'm mostly in private practice as an obstetrician now. I worked for a long time at the Royal Women's Hospital in public and ran the diabetes unit there for three years. And I did my PhD in the management of gestational diabetes. And it was a really interesting topic because... When I did it, the way it was diagnosed had just been changed. And although it was somewhat similar to what we used to do, the new way of diagnosing it instantly doubled the number of women diagnosed per year. So it went from about 5% to 10%, literally overnight.
0: Wow. When was when was this?
1: So that happened in about 2015, about halfway through. Instantly had all these increased numbers of women being diagnosed and ones who previously wouldn't have been, thinking, oh, look, I've now got a medical condition. And the workload and the implications obviously changed quite drastically as well. So it was a good time to do a project on something like that. And it just um, piqued my interest in it, which I've continued with.
0: Absolutely. What was the biggest reason for a sudden increase in people being diagnosed?
1: So what they used to do was screen everyone with what you said, you have a, a sugary drink, and you used to then just have a blood test an hour later and it could be done any time of the day. It didn't matter if you're fasting or not. And you had to reach a certain level on that screening test before you then went and had the full test. And the full test is, like you said, you know, you come first thing in the morning on an empty stomach and have a blood test and then the sugar load and then some follow-up blood tests. So that's what used to happen. And under the new system, that initial screening test went. So everyone immediately had to go and have the full fasting test and on the old test you only had a test at two hours after that sugar load whereas now you have it at one and two hours so you get three opportunities to be diagnosed rather than two and the omission of a screening test and they also tightened the fasting criteria so it used to be 5.5 and it got tightened into five which would catch a whole lot of extra people as well Having said that, the two-hour one got pushed out a little bit, but then there was this new one-hour one as well. So just by sheer numbers, if you looked before and after, it went from 5 to 10%. You know, that's then labelling potentially, if you get your language wrong, one in 10 pregnant women with pathology. And in Western Sydney, it was something like one in four. I went to a meeting a couple of years ago discussing this and the workplace implications and what could we do to manage this tsunami of diabetes that had hit the country. And yeah, the Western Sydney people were saying it's roughly one in four in some of our hospitals and populations.
0: Okay. So, what you mentioned before was roughly 10% of pregnant women have gestational diabetes in Australia.
1: And uh, Melbourne certainly. It's, again, it's a bit regional specific. I thought 10 was quite high, and I went to this meeting, and, and we were one of the lower ones actually. So, ten's probably on the lower end but yeah look I would say anywhere between 10 and the low 20s.
0: So that's quite a lot of women we are talking about so it's great that we are chatting to you today. So what would you be your main recommendations? No, let's start at the start. How would you recommend women prevent, how can they help themselves prevent gestational diabetes?
1: Yeah that's a great question because for some people you can't. Very famous top Australian athlete, was diagnosed with gestational diabetes in her first pregnancy and was in the media. And I don't think she's got any qualms in people knowing about that. So the famous Kathy Freeman had gestational diabetes. I've had plenty of tall slim healthy athletic women who get that sort of surprise you occasionally get one that passed the test in flying colors the first time and has had no change to their age or weight or health and seem to suddenly be in the abnormal range the second time so there's definitely an element of genetics and bad luck for want of a better word but there's also some very obvious things. Although it's much, much milder, it's on the same spectrum as type 2 diabetes. So it's not an autoimmune condition. It's insulin resistance, which does have a relationship with sugary diets, high glycemic index carbohydrate intake inappropriate weight gain, inadequate exercise, all those sorts of things. So maintaining good exercise habits as much as you can throughout your pregnancy, eating well, knowing a little bit about glycemic index and how that works with food, because you can get some surprises. It's not all lollies and Coke that are the problem. It can be certain rice is worse than other types of rice for instance it can be things that are culturally very important foods you know some of the um african cultures that come here eat a certain type of bread which is very high glycemic index some italian cultures eat a lot of pasta there's all sorts of things that are a bit more tricky i'd say the two elements are the bad luck and the genetics but two is probably things that people know a little bit about but might want to explore a bit more with exercise and diet
0: yeah and in terms of the research Would you say one is more important than the other in terms of exercise and diet?
1: No, I think they go hand in hand. When you're diagnosed in a public hospital, the very first thing that happens is you come to a group class for three hours. You have one hour with a diabetes educator who teaches you how to test your sugars and what levels you're looking to beat. You have a dietitian that goes through all the foods and the glycemic index and the portion sizes and so forth. And you have a physio to teach the healthy lifestyle and exercise stuff. But some of the diets can be very extreme, can't they? You know, you hear about keto diets and all sorts of things. Sensible eating and sensible exercise from a medical point of view.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I think that in terms of the research, I don't think there's a huge body of evidence in terms of what actual exercise should be done during gestational diabetes. I do know the general recommendation is three times a week, for 30 to 60 minutes, moderate intensity. But apart from that, yeah, it is pretty broad. If someone comes and sees you and they have been diagnosed with gestational diabetes, are there any other recommendations you have for women?
1: You know what I think the most important thing is There's the difference between the risks of an untreated condition and the risks of a treated condition. The original research on gestational diabetes and whether or not it was risky or not, or whether or not it posed some dramas to the pregnancy or just in later life, all centred around doing nothing at all versus a very intensive treatment program. Of course, it showed that the intensive treatment program or what we would consider fairly standard care had better results, but the risks that are quoted in the untreated population shouldn't be made too much of a big deal, if that makes sense, because we're picking it up, we're deliberately testing people and doing something about it. So there's this misinformation out there where all the risks of those studies where they did nothing at all are quoted to women, and it's not true because if you pick it up and do something about it, which might be as simple as just testing your sugars and doing some very simple dietary modification your risk comes back to baseline. So that's one thing I think that troubles me a bit is that women who are diagnosed can be brought in to see someone and they can say, right, you now have got an increased risk of a cesarean section, a big baby, the baby having low sugars, premature birth, all these things that is not really true because we're screening for it and doing something about it. So I think the first treatment is good information that this is not a bad thing. It's a good thing we've picked it up. And by doing something about it, we can drag your potential risks back down to someone who wasn't diagnosed at all with gestational diabetes. For over 50% of women, that is it. There's nothing extra medical, no insulin injections, no tablets, no real mandatory surveillance of the baby, and the pregnancy and birth course should be unchanged. From a doctor and a medical point of view, those that don't meet the targets The next step is some sort of pharmacotherapy, which is usually insulin injections, but sometimes we can use tablets like metformin. And again, the risk, as long as you pick it up and do something about it, even when you're medicated, tends to not be as high above baseline as you think. And they are usually quite mild things. So again, it really worries me when Some women have been told they're at a higher risk of placental failure or even catastrophic things like stillbirth and so forth, and that's just not true at all.
0: So that was going to be one of my questions to you. What are the risks of gestational diabetes? But by what you're saying, you're pretty much saying if it's treated or if it's managed and monitored, you're saying there's not many risks at all?
1: Now, we've followed up the gestational diabetes population and compared them to a like-matched cohort without gestational diabetes and they're almost the same you know those that struggle with their sugars and need a lot of insulin do have an increased risk of some things but certainly the, the ones that are diet controlled have no increased risk of anything no increased risk of a big baby no increased risk of a cesarean section definitely no increased risk of the baby going to the special care nursery nothing now If you do need insulin, it depends a little bit how much and how difficult the sugar control is, but the risks then tend to centre around large babies and the risks of large babies. So a large baby, obviously, you might have difficulty fitting and therefore need a caesarean section. The baby might have difficulty maintaining its sugars after birth, but it's not small babies and stillbirths and hypoxia and all the terrible things that can sometimes be investigated in obstetrics. It's certainly not centred around
0: that. That's fantastic. So we're living in a great country here in Australia. How long has all this testing been happening for? Like when have we started seeing these changes and the improved management of women with gestational diabetes?
1: testing was proposed in the 60s when they used to give women sugar loads and see what happened to their blood sugars and observed that the insulin didn't sort of drive it into cells as much. That's your natural insulin, didn't drive it into cells as much as they'd expect. So it was sort of picked up in the 60s, but then it was proposed to just be maybe a risk factor for type 2 later in life. And there was lots of sort of debate over decades about whether that was true or whether they were more like people with pre-existing diabetes who certainly have some extra risks for their pregnancy or whether it was something in between. And some form of testing has been around since the 90s. There's been an Australian Diabetes in Pregnancy Society since the early 90s. And as I said, that form of testing existed until 2014 and then since 2015, we've had this Everyone gets screened every pregnancy with the full fasting glucose tolerance test. And I guess, look, the older criteria would have had a slightly higher risk group. So it's a bit of a logical fallacy to say that, well, now we've got these great results, therefore the new system of diagnosis is better. It just means that you are diagnosing more of a lower risk women because the treatment has stayed the same for quite a long time. You know, the target blood glucose levels have been known for a while. There haven't been any massive jumps in dietetic knowledge over the last few years and things. So that's been an evolving thing over a long period of time.
0: This episode is proudly brought to you by Solidea, providing all of your pregnancy and recovery support needs. Solidea's maternity range supports your changing body throughout your pregnancy and the postpartum period. The proven compression and patented fabric helps to reduce back and pelvic joint pain, swelling and varicose veins, and it's safe and effective following vaginal and caesarean section deliveries. Solidea improves recovery from episiotomies, tears, hematomas, and after caesarean births. Made in Italy, Solidea's maternity range ensures pregnant women and new mums look good and feel great. Recommended by obstetricians and physiotherapists, Solidea is offering 20% off using the code FITNEST20 that's F I T N E S T 20. So if you're in the market for some new support wear for pregnancy or postpartum, definitely go and check them out with the code FITNESS20 for 20% off. So visit www.solidea.com.au that's S O L I D E A.com.au and check them out for yourself and the link is in the show notes. Okay. So if someone has been diagnosed with gestational diabetes, moving forwards after they've given birth, is there anything they can do to help reduce the chance of developing it again?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, one thing that really troubles me, and I've never quite understood this, is that the, the recommendation is that every single woman who has gestational diabetes has that test again six weeks after birth. So while you're presumably breastfeeding or at least looking after a little infant and particularly difficult if you're looking after toddlers as well you're meant to somehow make time to be fully slept and fully fasted and go and have your blood test and have the sugary drink and stay there for three hours and have the one hour and the two hour. And that's designed around picking up people with type 2 diabetes or what's called impaired glucose tolerance, which is a bit like a risk for maybe one day getting type 2 diabetes. Now, my response to that is, firstly, it's extremely impractical and a little bit unfair. And secondly, you thought someone had type 2 diabetes, you'd probably already have picked it up. They probably would have been very abnormal on that test in pregnancy and needed quite a lot of insulin to control Their sugars appropriately. So you're probably at that six week stage after pregnancy going to either be normal or maybe mildly in that impaired glucose tolerance range. And if you were in that impaired glucose tolerance range, you should be moving towards all the healthy living stuff you already learned in pregnancy anyway. So I think instead of this, you must test everyone again at six weeks, there should be some form of program to maintain all that good stuff that's been learnt in pregnancy around the eating and the exercise and places have tried to do that in terms of community engagement i know diabetes victoria have tried to do support groups and things for women who have been through it and touch base with them after pregnancy and stay linked in but that would be i think by far and away the most important thing the healthy diet and the healthy exercise and minimizing unhealthy weight gain before the next pregnancy
0: and in terms of the risk for their baby moving forward? So you've mentioned the risks as a newborn and what they might need, um, what support they might need in those early days. But moving forwards, is there any...
1: Again, it's probably related to how well the sugars are controlled. If they're controlled appropriately, then there should be no excess risk to the baby because they're just getting the same amount of sugar through the placenta as anyone else. If they're not, again, it depends... How badly out of whack they are. But there is a theory about abnormal uterine environment predisposing to various things later in life, like childhood obesity, like type 2 diabetes later in life, like adult medical problems. But again, that's very dependent on how severe it is. So the fact that people are being screened and it's being picked up and something's being done, I think you could extrapolate to saying that that is a good thing for both the mother and the baby, and probably there's. There's no excess risk for the baby. But if you stopped doing that screening or, or missed a whole bunch of women, then yes, you would say that there would be implications for childhood obesity, childhood diabetes and some other things that have been proposed. So it is a bit of a balancing game. How much intrusion on pregnant women with testing and how much maybe upsetting them by labelling them with pathology. But on the trade-off, then you minimise the interventions around birth and delivery and childhood stuff. And I think it's a worthwhile one, but the language around how gestational diabetes is diagnosed and presented to someone the first time is really important.
0: Mm, Absolutely. And I do think awareness is key and having that knowledge gives you the power to then change your behaviours. So I think it is fantastic that There's more women being diagnosed so that they can help themselves more during pregnancy and after childbirth. Finishing up, would there be anything else at all that you would want pregnant women out there to know about? Perhaps they're in their first, second trimester and they haven't yet had the test yet.
1: Yeah, look, a few things I say to people. Actually, one thing I think is important is there is a difference between public and private hospitals. So, public hospitals really need to have quite black and white guidelines. And that's for not having mixed messages, that's not having new staff maybe going rogue with their own opinions, that's so that everything is reproducible. And in that context, sometimes things can come across a little bit overly medical but that's for the good of a big place reproducing things time and time again whereas perhaps if you're in private care there's a bit more room for some nuance and some shades of gray because you have that one doctor or, or sometimes one midwife that you're seeing the whole way through and as long as it's done with a good evidence base you can tailor your approach a little bit so For those who are going in public care, I would just say, don't get too upset about a diagnosis that comes and not perhaps the opportunity to speak to someone immediately one-on-one and being sent to a group class to learn things. And if it's someone in private care, make sure that you have the opportunity to go and speak to your doctor about it shortly after the test. Now, in my private practice leading up to the test for people in the second trimester, I do warn about a few things. The first is that you can't do anything in between the different blood draws. So you're there for a few hours. You're not allowed to go for a walk because that increases your metabolism and can muck up the test. They want you to sit there in the waiting room, essentially relaxing. So you need to take something to do. If you're a second or third time mum, it's best to have some sort of babysitting so that you're not dealing with that as well. And I always say, don't be in a rush to get off to work or do something or pick up the kids or get on a Zoom meeting afterwards, make sure you've got time to go home, have something to eat and relax because that big sugar load is not for everyone. First thing in the morning, it can make some people feel absolutely dreadful. And if you're in a rush to go and do something, it'll just make it worse. And the second thing is some people do fail the test. Some people have that drink and feel terrible. They just can't keep going or even vomit. And in that case, I think it's not worth repeating. You need to be able to go and speak to a doctor and work out an alternative way of doing it, because it's not worth the torture of going through it again, if you're in that small group that can't cope with it. And the final, I think, slightly contentious area is if you're a second or third time mum who's had it before and passed it with flying colours and is fit and well and had a normal pregnancy outcome, do you really need to be screened for it every time? And that's, controversial <laughs> and I think can be tailored to the individual a little
0: bit. Okay well I'll leave that one with you. <laughs> I'll let all the women out there have a chat to their individual doctor to see if that's an okay option for them. Yeah that's interesting though that sounds like a new uh, research study for you coming up.
1: Yes interestingly enough because of the COVID problem and they don't want large numbers of people congregating together waiting for pathology and it's You know, inevitable with the diabetes test, big hospitals have had to modify it a bit. They have had to do a little bit of sub triage of women who really need it and maybe can skip it. And that might be an opportunity to look at some of those strategies and results. And you could easily do some models on how many you think you might have missed and therefore how many excess large babies and cesarean sections occurred. It'd be an interesting exercise.
0: Definitely. There's your sample size right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Tom. That was really useful. And I think just knowing the impact that diagnosis and management and treatment can have on yourself, your baby and your pregnancy and potentially then have very few risks involved if you're managing intestational gestational diabetes so that's great news for everyone so thanks for your time exactly and yeah. we'll yeah and we'll speak to you soon pleasure thank you and before we sign off please remember my team and i will be putting together the show notes for this episode with all the links at www.fitnessmama.com and you'll see how to connect with dr tom Cade over in the show notes And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Have a fabulous day, everyone. And I look forward to you joining me next week for another episode of the Fitness Mama podcast. Thanks for listening to the Fitness Mama podcast brought to you by the Fitness Mama freebies found at www.fitnessmama.com forward slash free. So please take a few seconds to leave a review, subscribe so you don't miss an episode and be sure to take a screenshot of this podcast, upload it to your social media and tag me at Fitness Mama so I can give you a shout out too. Until next time, remember, an active pregnancy, confident childbirth and strong postnatal recovery is something that you deserve. Remember our disclaimer, materials and contents in this podcast are intended as general information only and shouldn't substitute any medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. I'll see you soon.